Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we assemble to explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our sixth season, we are looking at The Avengers. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright, and this week, Hawkeye presses L3. (laughs) (laughs) Today we're talking about Minute 73, which begins with Fury readying his sidearm and ends with Fury shaking his head. (laughs) Back on the show from a couple weeks ago, it's the Timeline Scavengers themselves, James Anderson, Colin Parker. Hello, you two. Hello. Hey, thank you. Welcome back, Colin. Uh, Welcome back, James. (laughs) And welcome back, Connor. All right, so... We are, we're coming in hot in the Wishbone Lab as uh, there's a lot of tension right now. Uh, you, it, the, basically, the start of this minute is Fury going for his gun. And then we have this moment where, uh, where Steve calmly says, Dr. Banner, put down the scepter. This is a a nice little build that we've had over the last few minutes of kind of this this mess of characters not knowing how to communicate with each other, building to this moment where, without even knowing it, Bruce has picked up the scepter. What do you all think of this? Just another example of 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 Bruce's tentative grasp on the control of his own body, like he can't even realize that he's holding a weapon. Interesting. Okay, so that's interesting that you say that. Are you saying that you think perhaps there the other guy might have been going for this? Or do you think, based on what we saw the Scepter doing a few minutes ago, where it's kind of pulsating, we have that funky camera angle, or camera shot that kind of flips over the, the Scepter and kind of comes up or upside down on everybody, which made it seem like, is the Scepter doing something? Or in Eric Selvig's words, is the Scepter behaving? I just think that that Bruce rolls with disadvantage on this kind of check um, because of his relationship with with the other guy. Like, I think that he's already sort of in a suggestible place. And so it's not a surprise that he's the one that that ends up uh, sort of succumbing to this first. Did I do good, Colin? Yeah, no, I I I would agree with that. Yeah, yeah. because I definitely think it's definitely not at all Hulk or Banner in this moment. Like, I think that is 100 percent. The scepter talking. I think what is interesting about this, though, is that what's fascinating about this moment is that usually, I I think people have been tiptoeing around him because of the Hulk, but this is, I think, the first time where I think he has found that people are afraid of him, not afraid of him, but tentative around him because of him, which I think is a very interesting flip of the script here in this moment. Because, like, when they shift and they're kind of like, okay, right? Like, it is no longer, we're, we're nervous that he's going to become the other guy. Because I guess since Universal still has the rights, we're still have to be really careful about how many times we say it in a movie. It's like, <laughs> I think that there's an interesting moment where they're like, okay, and now a guy with a brilliant mind has something that we know has control over the mind. Also, a brilliant mind being controlled by something, you know, there's a lot of interesting things there i mean it makes me think a little bit of like in justice league there's this like famous story of uh, the babylon tower or doom depending on which version you read or if it's a animated series where essentially you know everyone has a weakness everyone has a contingency plan but i feel like you don't really plan for bruce banner you plan for hulk so like you know the idea of People not knowing now in this moment how they're going to de-escalate the situation 
because I think everyone always has an idea and a plan until this moment, you know? That's just sort of what I'm getting at. Because even, you know, the way that Nick Fury reaches for his gun is also, to me, like, again, not necessarily being scared, but that, to me, feels like, okay, like, uh, you know, just the idea of even the guy who seems like he's always ready doesn't seem ready in this moment. It's it's an interesting moment because I I don't know what... Uh, I guess my my read on it is what the filmmakers are trying to tell us is that because the scepter has this power that we've seen Loki wield where he can control other people's minds with it, there is this sense of it just being in the room here in some capacity is influencing all of their thinking right now. And we get kind of a, like some some handheld throughout this scene that's that has a little bit more shake than we're used to seeing in the film where it really feels like they're trying to say the the scepter is influencing the way that all of these people are thinking and and behaving in this moment here but i i guess where where i end up like landing with it is i i'm not sure what i'm meant to think as far as the scepter doing this by itself or is in some capacity loki even though he's not holding it is he able to be controlling it to be doing all of this and i'm not sure if that's what the filmmakers are intending because it kind of feels like well is this why loki wanted to be here so that he could right. get onto this kind close proximity of. with bruce and release the hulk which as you know as natasha had figured out a little bit ago that's why he's here right i i think like one of the things that we talked about last time was the idea of how soon do we kind of start thinking about the idea of the infinity stones in uh this universe but i think that like because we know i mean as people who know like the future movies right um and we know what's in there that will become a part of another hero i I do think that while we might not have always known that the Tesseract was going to be the Space Stone, I think that there's always been the inkling that this was the Mind Stone. And something that we talk about in Guardians, we, I, I talk as if I am part of Marvel Studios, um, but something that you know we see <laughs> in Guardians of the Galaxy is the idea that like a standard human can't really stand up to the test of an a Infinity Stone. And so I think that, like, even though he has the Hulk there, uh, like, inside of him, and he can handle, like, the gamma radiation, the power of these stones is too much for a mortal man. And so that's why I'm assuming that, you know, all of these people are susceptible to their anger kind of ratcheting up. And interestingly enough, Thor is the only one who kind of just laughs it off um, the whole time. Thor is kind of... Like, oh, you know, he accidentally, I think, kind of instigates part of it because he isn't getting angry. He's like, you're so puny. Like, you're, you're so – like, he's, like, laughing it off and they're, like, you know, they're – the fists are starting to clench. You know, they're starting to – their hackles are up, you know. And um, I think that in this moment, it's it's that thing of the stone is stronger than the human minds in this room. And it has that ability to, as you said, behave. But does it seem like – like, are we meant to, at least at this point in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, without having the understanding of the Mind Stone later, just the, or, or maybe they're implying it, but I mean, does it feel like at this point they're implying that is that Loki is in some way doing this? Is that 
Does it seem like they're intending that or not? I don't think so. I mean, like for me personally, I the well, the one thing I do remember at least always is the idea that the scepter felt different, basically, from like anything because even Loki has to go out and search for it. You know, it's not like he has always had this scepter kind of thing. It's not like it's it's his personal item to to do conquest with and stuff like that. Um, I think it feels like it's its own entity to me at all times. And it's also an interesting thing because he goes after two items and it also shows, you know, that like the two items also don't behave the same. Like the two items, the Tesseract and the the Scepter have different abilities and different, I don't know how to describe this, but like they just, they have different functionalities. And so I feel like they behave differently. They have just these different you know, whatever's, but like, I feel like the scepter has, because it does control minds, it almost has a mind of its own versus the Tesseract is a tool effectively. Well, it's like, uh, we, t- you know, you, you said before, I-, I wonder if it's attracted to the most powerful, like, I wonder if Tony should be feeling a little bit inferior because it wasn't, uh, Banner was the one like that it it focused its power on or something i i think my problem with this is that they throw it away so quickly there you go like they don't explore this at all and it almost feels like does hawkeye blowing the explosives or whatever is that part of the plan that the scepter is a part of or is hawkeye somehow like has hawkeye accidentally saved a bigger catastrophe from happening by making this explosion happen and distracting everyone. Cause Banner gets to immediately go into um, like, you know, Star Trek science officer mode and like, you know, his glasses off and like sort of uh, looking at data and stuff where we don't really explore like, wait, whoa, what was that just a second ago? Very much at all. And I, it, it feels like we don't get to see the full implications of what, that is beyond like the moment happens, you know, drop the scepter. Oh my God, I have the scepter. And then we're gone. We're moving on again. And I don't feel, I feel like, I wonder if there was extra deleted stuff or something that, that they explored that more in a plot way or what? Yeah. I I think that is exactly my problem. And as much as I, I like like going down this road of thinking about the identity of the scepter and what it can do. The problem is I don't think the movie commits to a single thread of that. I think this is just a complete appendix. It's like scepter adjacent behavior that I'm not directed to care about at all because we move right on from it. So I I don't, for all I know, the other and, and, and uh, Thanos are controlling it because they're the ones who bequeath it to Loki in the first place. Like this is, it is completely uncertain and I, to my eye, unknowable what is, what behavior is being, you know, sort of exuded in this sequence. Yeah. I think that's largely where, uh, where we land is like, there's no way of knowing what the intentions are. It's just something that's happening. And uh, I guess it it just only makes sense later when we go, oh, okay, it was the Mind Stone. So I guess that's why everybody was acting this way. But, but I mean, later is like years later. Oh, I know. Yeah, I sure. know. <laughs> but, that's, but that's what I'm saying. Only in retrospect 
many films yeah. later can we watch right. this and go, oh, okay, I guess that's what they were? Yes. Or that I guess and that's that, the face yeah. I think you have to have too, the face yeah. you're making. Like, <laughs> kind of squinty. I, yeah. I also think that it's a lot like the comic books though too, right? Because like, I think something that Marvel does get right, which I think for whatever reason, I think for people who aren't maybe necessarily the comic readers, sometimes people get a little upset that we set up a larger mystery or another plot point for honestly, sometimes even years down the line, but that's because they're all overarching stories that connect. But like, I think that that's one of the things that made this movie interesting to me was that, you know, we didn't have answers for everything, despite it being the first major like connective tissue uh, moment. But I think that that was also almost by design to have these things of, of, you know, it you do get some questions answered in this movie and you get some really cool moments, but they also, now that people have come together, you have new threads that you can follow to discover or you know investigate. And I feel like the idea of purposefully immediately not letting us get an answer to this question was to maybe leave like the same way, again, to bring it back to comics. I feel like this is what they do in comics all the time is they they leave an open-ended question really quickly or sometimes right at the end of something specifically because of the idea of, ooh, someone or maybe I as the writer can come back and explore that later because I, I would like to leave kind of an, an open-ended thing. But then if for whatever reason I get told, oh, actually, we're moving you over to the Hulk series um, and, you know, so-and-so is going to come in, you know, Mark Wade's going to come in and take over for this run uh, after, you know, your current arc or whatever – uh, I think that then it's maybe it's never answered and you kind of are always wondering what was going to happen there or potentially down the road, Mark Wade gets to go, oh, so this mind controlling scepter has a big encased thing. I could just say the mind stone is encased in it. You know, so it's like, I, I don't know how much of that part they were planning ahead or if it was just like, a, let's leave some loose ends so that we always have something to tie back to if we really want to step back into it, or if we really want to explore something new later, we have little bits and pieces that we can pull from without having to essentially conjure brand new problems. Well, my, my sense of it from talking about this film and, and really thinking about it, the fact that Thanos is in this film, they clearly said, okay, we're going to start introducing this whole story with Thanos, the infinity saga. And, we're going to take this Tesseract that we had. And my, my hunch is they probably had already decided, okay, we're going to make this Tesseract. We'll make this uh, scepter. We're, we'll turn those into infinity stones. We'll get there uh, eventually. And they opted to keep them both blue for the simple fact that in this film, they needed to have them connected in some capacity so that we could have the opening of the film where they use the Tesseract to open this thing. And, and because Loki's on the other end with the scepter, he's able to come through. That's really kind of like what they're trying to say with the start of this film. And by making them both blue and they both have this pulsating effect and everything, they are making it seem like, oh, there's some link between them. And I think there's some line at some point even where they, they talk about the fact that there is this link between these things. And so my hunch is they were trying to come up with a way to make all of that happen at the start of the film. And they, they probably said, okay, they can be Infinity Stones. We'll sort out the logistics to get them to that down the road. <laughs> yeah. Right. I think practically what this scene does 
because it doesn't pay off plot wise, I think a little bit it's sort of, and especially this works with like the camera work and sort of like the music and everything that's going on is this is sort of the uh kind of the we're not in Kansas anymore moment of this of this scene or of this sort of general setting where it's like, whoa, you know, I know it's we're already in a weird place because that guy was is, you know, almost 100 years old. And and this guy turns into a big green monster. But now things are going to get weird because the camera's upside down and, and there's some sort of mind control thing going on. It's almost like, you know, it's like, hey, this is going to get weird. I think that's sort of what it does on like a in this modular way. And speaking of modular, I think that the thing that I'm majorly missing, and this is maybe just me because I have tough times following these kinds of breadcrumbs, I really like in the old comics when they're like, and this is that guy. Remember him from, you know, issue whatever? <laughs> yeah, more, like, more call-outs. Yeah. yeah, if it was like, I don't know how you do that with a movie, you probably couldn't. But like, I guess you do it in like a flashback or whatever. Yeah, right, right. I, do, I, I don't remember what happens from movie. <laughs> movie to movie <laughs> or from like i don't remember who it carried like it's it's really funny sometimes to talk with colin on on our show because i'm like wait wait a minute that guy is that guy and colin's like yeah man that's the whole like claw, like uh ulysses claw it took me a yeah. while to be like that guy and that guy and that guy are all the same guy oh whoa <laughs> that's gotta feel great though like what a gift when you hit that realization it's like that is I, my kingdom for that adrenal rush. It's a cool rush when I find it. It sucks when Colin's like, <laughs> hey, dude. Head um, slapping. Right. It's like, oh, that's, that's the same guy. Um, but yeah, I think that if it could be like, this is the Mind Stone, and, and this is how, you know, remember, it's been controlling minds since, for example, Aven Avengers, you know, issue number one. I would love if movies would just embrace the idea of putting in a like literal like just do exactly as you see in the comics put a little yellow thing in the corner like I don't think it would f I think it would make me realize that it is a comic book movie and I wouldn't find it like obnoxious or whatever cuz they can't see it but like the idea of like showing something and having a little editorial thing of like see Avengers like see Avengers one or whatever <laughs> release annotated versions of the MCU where it's the same movie, but you have links. We're, we're turning it into pop-up video basically. Yeah, exactly. That's and what's I happening. would, I will turn everything oh into pop-up video. If, I have my <laughs> oh my God. if you can click on the, on the thing and it takes you to either the movie you already own or a place to buy the movie, which has the annotations for that. I'm, I, that's I, like I, what I, Amazon tries oh, to do with this. Um, yeah, X-ray. Yeah. I find that well, it's weird because I pause it to go do something else, but then yeah. it tells me all the stuff. But like, there's also uh, Jamie Jamie Benning. Um, we've had him on the the next reel before. Does these filmumentaries that he takes a movie like he uh, the, his first one was Raiders of the Lost Ark, and he took the entire movie. Extraordinary. But it's like it's almost like a pop up video version of the movie, but then. As as you're going along, suddenly, if if he had found like documentary footage or something, he'll cut to the documentary footage of that particular scene, and you can see the behind the scenes as they're kind of making it, and the directors and you know Lucas and Spielberg are talking and whatever, and Kasdan and and that, and it's constantly cutting. So it's a really long, right? It's much longer than the movie. I love that. But it's like it's a documentary integrated into the film, and he's done it with a number of them. It's really fascinating. I highly recommend you look up his filmumentaries. That's very cool. Where 
where and how? What, where, they're on do you have links Vimeo, I believe. Uh, but yeah. yeah, we'll make sure they're in the it's show just, notes. Yeah, search for film yeah. mumentaries. Yeah, amazing. Like documentaries, but yeah. film. Yeah, you'll find him. Cool. He's great. So I would, I would commentary is such a is such a hard thing for me to do or behind the scenes or whatever because i'm like i just watch the thing that's the kind of thing i need where it's check like, it out i think you'd like it it's, it's like input into it yeah mm, that's all i'm excited all right i want to talk a little bit about gamma signatures um so they lock on to their ga- gamma signature finally and bruce runs over to his screen no party trick for everybody uh which is uh, which is fun I just want to talk about latitude and longitude a little bit because I, I have some questions <laughs> about about what we see on the screen because Bruce runs over to the screen to check and see what's what's happening. This is after everybody's kind of going through their fights and freaking out, and he looks at it and he's very uh, like freaked out. I want to talk about his line in a minute, but first I just want to go through all the different latitudes and longitudes that we see on the screen because there are well, I should say there are only two. The first one is the gamma signature location. We get latitude 45 degrees, 66 uh, or 86.12 north, longitude 76 degrees, 87.32 degrees west. When I look that up, I end up uh, somewhere northwest of Ottawa, uh, over in the wilds of Quebec. And so I'm not exactly sure what the gamma is doing over in Canada, but it certainly is not over New York. Now, the map shows New York City. If it was Stark Tower, the latitude, longitude would be 40 degrees, 45.22 north, uh, 77 degrees, 27.32 west. So I don't know why we're looking at Ottawa. Now, this is actually different than we also have a latitude, longitude over on the far left of the monitor, which I'm guessing is their location of the helicarrier, which is interesting because when you plug in that latitude and longitude, you get Bermuda. And so I don't know if they're over Bermuda or over Ottawa, but regardless, I, I don't know why uh, Like this, this indicator that tells us it's got a little circle, which happens to be over Williamsburg, New York, right around the Williamsburg Bridge, crossing into lower Manhattan. None of this lines up. And I don't know if this is just production designers just throwing things in there because it's kind of, you know, they thought it'd be fun. Oh, let's make it Bermuda. Let's do something funny. But none of it actually uh, lines up at all with what they're looking at on the screen. So I feel like, do we need to ask the question, what makes Bermuda funny? Oh, <laughs> because I know what makes Ottawa funny. It, Ottawa is just right. a funny, funny sure, damn yeah, place. Yeah. Um, yeah. But Bermuda? I think that's what the Canadians all say, too. Right. right yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, why hey, Ottawa? Uh, no. So what I will say is that like, Ottawa, the, like, like the rest of the Canada, but Bur- funny. Bermuda thing, I feel like could just be the idea of when they first start, they're over the ocean and they're over the water, um, which is also one of the concerns about if they have to put the Hulk in the container and then dump him. It's just, you know, it's just in the ocean, right? Bermuda Triangle. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. And he's lost forever. Um, and that's how he ends yeah. up on Sakaar originally. He ends up in but, uh, oh yeah. It's like clue, <laughs> but with Canada and Bermuda, you can go from <laughs> right. Bermuda. I'm, I'm wondering again, by like, way of Sakaar. I'm wondering if there's like some sort of small Easter egg in this as well, though, because like what I'm wondering is, is like, okay, you could give the exact, you know, coordinates for where Stark Tower is supposed to be. Again, if you're like a huge, you know, uh, I don't want to call any of us nerds necessarily, even though I think nerds can are cool, um, or at least some can be. 
Uh, I think that like we can also easily just look up the real latitude and longitude like you did already. But I also wonder if maybe Ottawa has a like VFX company and they were the ones in charge of doing it. So they put one of the locations as where they are, you know, and they're like, oh, this will be fun. It wouldn't be where they are because, like I said, it's not it's northwest of Ottawa, oh. it, Ottawa, but it is like way up in the wilds of Quebec. Like, oh, okay, gotcha. it is it is not exactly close to where people live. Maybe somebody has a cabin there. That would be the sort of living flight Easter that egg. people would be doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah there you totally. go. It's pretty peculiar. But it's it it's interesting that that's what they did. Like they they very specifically put things in that definitely are not actually Manhattan as the destination. They didn't. They got the trial version of that of those graphics, and those come with Bermuda and Ottawa, and they're like, <laughs> "Like it's nah, fine. We don't need to pay for this." I mean, it's it's also <laughs> a little bit like the um, the eye test in Captain America, where it is they when they go oh, in for the doctor's yeah. appointment for Captain. Uh, I don't know why I said, I said it fully like that instead of Cap. Um, when Steve first goes in, like they show like an eye exam, and it's not the American standard version. But it was like very clearly they just pulled the like a set piece. Like I kind of wonder if it's that sort of situation. You know, they literally just took. I mean, it could s- straight up just be that they needed something that was on the screen, and they took the numbers straight up from a previous project, dumped it in, yeah. and changed the right, the right. photo. Okay, but I I know that I you're, I know you're not you're not making the point that I'm about to d- refute, but I just really need to make it very clear. Those eye charts are interchangeable because they do the same thing and 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 whatever. But maps aren't interchangeable. Well, how do how do we? Here's a here's an interesting question for you though. <laughs> how do we know that in this world they're not different? All right, the maps. All right, the maps. Yeah, so the latitude and longitude on this Earth. <laughs> You're right. May not it's line up. They're actually aligned to magnetic east. It's not. It's not <laughs> our universe. Howard Stark. Howard Stark. Wow. Yeah. They're, yeah, there's starkitude and stongitude. Uh, so, okay, so if, if yeah. I take the Bermuda latitude longitude and I adjust it to be Manhattan, where would the other one line up? Or no, I take the gamma one, sorry, and right. put that over Manhattan. That would tell me, theoretically, where the helicarrier is. I just, I like thinking that they're actually hovering over Bermuda. I just think that's funny that, that, that yeah. Fury decided, you know what? Because where does <laughs> Thor land? You know, he it's lands the, on like an island somewhere. Uh, yeah, it's Ottawa. <laughs> it's actually the wilds of Ottawa because he goes through the the, the secret passage. Mm. Yes, right. Yeah, exactly to the conservatory. All right. So I have a question about the line here, though. I want to talk about this line because because Bruce, when he runs up to the computer and he looks at what's going on here, his response is, "Oh my god!" And Thor's like, "Yes." Now the way that it cuts is we we see him look at his computer. He says, oh, my God, I'm assuming it's because the gamma shows up in New York, but it's just strange that it cuts from him to Clint. And, you know, we've seen kind of Clint in action as far as what he and his team are doing, and he's got his arrow planted and everything. But is, I don't know, is there any sense that we're meant to think that somehow he's reading the fact that Clint is outside or no, we're not reading that. It's just the fact that it's New York. No, I think it's the fact that they found a gamma radiation location where they are. Over Bermuda? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, because I think that if they're tracking it, thinking that they're going to find the Tesseract, and like he sees that it's in New York, but then also sees exactly where they are is also tracked. I think the idea of him going, wait a minute, because like he sees that the scepter is also being tracked. 
by this system. Like, oh my God. And just like what you're, what you're saying earlier about what is the meaning of the scepter, they get interrupted. So before he can even reveal there is something connecting these two, you get that interruption and you don't get that thing. Have they teared for him? Like they surely have have adjusted for the baseline of the whole of of I would think I mean the, he, the gamma monster that's on the helicarrier. Yeah, already. I would I would yeah. assume that they've, yeah. okay. they've taken that into taken, account. Taken friendly. Prints. I love the idea because yeah. this is how I do science, where it's like, oh my god, there's a gamma signature coming from right where I'm. Oh, crap. it's coming All from right, inside. It's coming from inside the ship. <laughs> All right, hold on. Let me. Let me. I need to do something real quick. It's just you know, Independence Day. Flip the thing over. Uh, some idiot. Just uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Right. <laughs> I don't know how this would work practically, but there with Clint. And like the shield stuff and whatever, the Ottawa and Bermuda stuff almost gives you like the, you know, in those like spy movies where it's like they're tracing the call and we're like routing it through all these satellites and whatever. Mm-hmm. It, it gives me that same thing. That'd be really complicated if they're routing their latitude, longitude as well. <laughs> Like, okay, well, we got to trace to see exactly where we are. Through the, right, <laughs> through the gamma signature. I like that, like, Clint is, like, teleporting around to, like, throw them off. But yeah, none of that makes sense. But that's that's sort of the thing it gets me is, like, or it sort of reminds me of is, like, these random, like, locations. Well, we know that can't be. Oh, my God, it's here. You know, uh, reveal sort of deal. But uh, it's weird that, yeah. It's. Yeah, it's just, it's a strange reveal the way, and I don't know, maybe it's just because the way he says it, and then we instantly cut to Clint, like, it just seems like, was there some connection between the two? Like, I, I want to have a better sense as to why he's saying that, <laughs> other than... Ottawa, Bermuda, Hawkeye! Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, where Colin and I are in recording, we're in the middle of this season seven of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., where they've been doing all season long these sort of genre pastiche sort of sort of deals, episode to episode. It feels like when Clint hits the button and the explosion happens, it, it if you will, rockets them into, like, Star Trek, the motion picture, like, falling all over the ship, like, sort of ridiculous, like, 60s TV sci-fi that this, like, science officer, oh my god, I can't believe, whatever, then they're rocked and everyone falls over, all feels very genre-y and and it makes me want to discount any sort of the stuff like we were talking about before where it's like ah don't you see that this moving forward and this was an easter egg it turns into like this is literally the cheapest budget thing we could do because we're doing this genre pastiche in the middle of this movie and then they immediately kill the purple shirt i got you i got you Right, exactly. It's, well, and that's a uh, you know, it's it's funny that you say that because that's definitely one of my notes is like how convenient like that there's this you know, so Clint his he shot his arrow it's over on uh uh engine 3 which is what he blows up. The wishbone lab is like the bottom back center of the ship and because engine 3 blows up, there's a fireball that erupts from the center of the floor in the lab. And throws them all back. I was like, why why is this the way that this plays? Like it just it didn't make any sense at all as I was watching this. I'm like, there's a fireball coming out of the middle of the floor. <laughs> when does that happen? That's like a safety precaution. Anything that happens, it just blows the lamp. Mm. Just like, oh no. <laughs> just in case. I also think though that yeah. this is also a classic case of like we can look up the blueprints, we can figure out where everything is, right? Sure. But I think your average moviegoer isn't really looking at all those details. 
So you say the ship took damage, something's going to spark, you know, which I mean, happens kind of like you said in Star Trek. This is this is before the detail. Like they would hit like the back end of it and yeah. the, the cockpits like, psh, psh, yeah. psh, you know, and you're like, whoa. You know? Yeah. And we've been trained from, you know, I mean, you know, Star Trek was mentioned. The fact that when uh, the ship gets hit, this is the sort of thing that always happens where our heroes are, right? Mm-hmm. And this is exactly yeah. the way yeah. that any of this science fiction fantasy works. It's just you have to put the explosion where our heroes are so that it it propels them into action. And I know it doesn't make sense, but I think it's what feels uh, more actionable and more interesting always. Because imagine this, right? I'm gonna I want to run you through two quick, very small scenarios, okay? So imagine you're watching this scene exactly, right? They're going, oh, you don't get to see my party trick. And he looks at the numbers and he goes, oh, my God. Kaboom. Oh, pandemonium. We don't get the answer. Here comes the action. Here comes the fight, right? That's option one, the one that we get in the movie. Here's option two. You don't get a party trick. Beep, beep, beep. Oh, my God. What is it? You're not going to believe this. There are two gamma radiation service uh, signals. Well, what does that mean? Well, there's one in New York, and there's also one right here. Well, what does that mean? Well, it could mean that yeah. it's either tracking me or maybe this thing, they're somehow linked. That's wild. Anyway, I'm going to go back to the cockpit and make a call. <laughs> and as he's walking back, kaboom. Oh, whoops, what happened? Now we're all separate in different places. It doesn't make sense. It's boring. You're right. It would be better. Oh, oh. It oh, would okay. not. No, no, no. Because there's no there's no action. There's no, like, tense. You know, like, you're, you're thinking. You hear, oh, my God. So you're waiting for that answer. You're waiting for uh, – you, you have that anticipation. But it's always that thing of while they're solving this problem, there's another one brewing. And so – that's where, you know, you get your your uh, yeah. conflict and everything, you know? This movie should have been three hours long. Mm, an endgame situation, yeah. Obviously, that's, you know, that's how movies are made. They build to these moments where you're left with this cliffhanger of a line, like, oh, my God, we're not going to get the answer. We kind of get an idea. I mean, obviously, no audience member. I mean, I, maybe some, but very few audience members are reading the latitude, longitude going, that's Ottawa, or that's, you know, up in <laughs> right. Quebec. Uh, most people are, are looking at the little red circle saying, oh, New York City. And that's kind of where the audience goes. And they just are along for the ride. And all of those little things aside, they're just like, oh, okay, something's happening. It looks like New York. Oh, but no one else is going to know because now there's an explosion. And now we're into the next thing and, and action, action, excitement, excitement. And that's how movies are made. And that's why it's put together this way. As much as I love these, you know, these movies and stuff like that. And like, I love doing the deep dives. If I was watching a movie, right. And like, and finding out these like fun little, like not necessarily mistakes, but maybe they are mistakes, goofs, whatever. But if I was watching a movie and some guy was like, those aren't the right longitudes and latitudes. Boo, everyone, we should leave this room. Like they, they don't know what they're doing. I'd be like, I'd be like, shut up, sit him, down. Yeah. I'd, oh, you know, yeah. I would yell at the guy, you know. Uh, the one, the bring one on the cartoon, the one lone protester angry about the latitude and longitude. Yeah, I'd be like, I'd yeah. be like, go start a movie by minute podcast. Uh, yeah, I, I'd be like, I'd be like, it's a, it's a, you know, comic book movie made for children. Sit down. You know, it's like, who cares? <laughs> oh wow, I'm seeing a different side of you, Colin, and we're gonna have to maybe have like a meeting or two. After I don't know what that means. That, uh... Like, <laughs> listen, as we as adults can fully en- entertain and enjoy these things, but it's the same conversation that happens around star wars people get really mad about these things it's like it's space with wizards with like sci-fi swords in space it's a thing made for kids like you know settle down like just enjoy enjoy your space wizard you know what i mean 
Um, same thing as this. Like, I think they like to say it's made for a four quadrant audience. Mm. <laughs> oh God, I love it when you talk analysis to me. <laughs> Please give me more of your industry right. persona. Right. Colin, I, I respect that opinion that you have. You don't agree with it. Interesting. And I think that I think that details are what make the thing. But I respect your uh, not no need for details. You just want more explosions. No, I think that the uh, the really really small details I think are are fun and interesting, but I think that that's not the thing that you're drawn to when you're watching the movie. Well, and yeah, and I think to your point, I think there are certain types of movies where the filmmakers are going to do everything in their power to make all the details as accurate as possible, right? Right, right. I don't think that this is necessarily one of those films. I think the filmmakers are obviously having a good time. They're allowing these sorts of things to get by because they're like, you know, it's not if if people are paying attention to that, then we're not doing our job. Right. And these things made a lot of money. So people weren't paying attention to the latitude and longitude. People weren't as worried about these sorts of of little things because that's not the main crux of the of what we're focusing on here. So I think that the filmmakers for this film aren't Ridley Scott. They're not making Apollo 13. They're not doing something that, you know, you want these details to be very specific. And so I think that allows it to kind of, you know, be a little looser in in the way that it's put together. And we complain a lot about all these details over the course of this show. And Pete hates the fact that we're doing a Movies by Minutes podcast about this because we're complaining about everything. Um, When in reality, when you watch the movie, it just flows over you and you're not paying attention to any of this stuff. Well, it totally does. Look, Andy, we figured out that the helicarrier cannot exist without having engines that are each the size of another helicarrier. Exactly. That's a thing. Like, we're (laughs) complaining about a thing that does not exist and yet i still get deep deep joy out of it like it's it's super fun to let it wash over and it's okay it's okay yeah yeah, yeah. it's right that's what it's for and james just alluded to it but i will say that like one one thing that i truly love about our process is that anytime there's something that is unexplained scientifically or you know for example showing a song in a year where it hadn't actually come out yet like, it doesn't come out for another two years, but they just needed something that sounded like it was from the 70s or whatever. Like, the idea is just always that, oh, well, Howard Stark was way more advanced than any mind that we had in the real universe. So he set the MCU, you know, forward enough that these sorts of things can change yeah. and happen. And, like, I think that that's also the same situation. Now, granted, Howard Stark <laughs> probably doesn't get to set uh, or reset the actual lines in which we, you know, look topographically at a map and stuff like that. That's fine. That's fair. I I get that. But also, like, Peggy Carter is the only character that I've ever known in any of these things that has just, like, looked at a longitude and latitude or heard it and gone, "Mm, got it, Belarus. And you're like, what the, how did she know that? You know, like, I don't have these things memorized. How many people are looking, just like you said, are watching the movie and going, oh, wait, wait, what was that number? Mm, Not accurate. Wow. Wild. Well, I mean, we talked about this back in in Tony's uh, penthouse because, when Coulson calls him, it shows Coulson's latitude and longitude. Right. And if Tony knew the latitude and longitude of his own tower, he would realize that Coulson was calling from inside the building. Right. The call is coming from In inside the, the building. Literally I was. love the idea of Howard Stark ex machina. Like, you, yes. can, you can explain yeah. anything with him, would just drop his name in there. That's actually really handy. Yes. We'll be using that again. Exactly. And we do. Yeah. I just want to just really quick point before we can totally move on as soon as I finish making this in loud Colin, no time for rebuttal. (laughs) So we just recorded this. uh, 
these episodes about Guardians of the Galaxy 2, where it starts with uh, a woman singing along to a song. And I was enjoying my Space Wizard sort of uh, deal with, like, the the singing and sort of the carefree attitude of the, you know, the very, very early 80s. And one of us, who isn't me, was really upset about uh, her not singing on key or with the necessarily on uh, with the track and i just wanted to just just put that out there as like a preview of an upcoming episode where colin was very much those aren't the correct latitudes and longitudes uh, are, we, are we talking <laughs> about the the damage done to brandy you're a fine girl what a good wife you would be Co- yeah correct exactly uh that whimsical uh carefree i'm not gonna say i never noticed that either so i i could be i can walk that line right yeah, I just um, I think that if you're going to say that you're just immersing yourself in the story and not worrying about the details, that you can uh, let other details go as well. But uh, I guess I'm wrong about that. Those people who are able to let those things go are not tone deaf either. Right. So yeah, see, let's. This just is the say, thing. Everybody's going to have their own lines. Doctors are going to get upset <laughs> about medical things. People who have great pitch and sing are going to get upset about that. People who really pay attention to cartography and latitude and longitude are going to get upset about these things everybody's gonna have their thing that will pull them out of the movie so and if everyone gets everything right in a movie it will be the least popular movie of all time like when you get (laughs) the science entirely right no one wants to go see your movie right so uh yeah i think that the only other thing that i have is i I really like the put on the suit changing into put on the suit put on the suit we're okay let's talk about that so we got the put on the suit this is the fourth we get three of them here in this minute. The first one came earlier, but the, we get two of them very testy, ready to fight each other, put on the suits. And so it was a great way to do kind of like that uh, repetition of that, because by the time the fourth one rolls around, it is, um, I mean, it's literally like, put on the suit. Oh, yeah, I guess I, I better yeah. go do that. Um, that works great, the way that they play with the dialogue throughout that. Do you guys remember uh, the movie Hook? Uh, with uh, yeah. It was a, a little indie film. Um in the in uh, in the movie, there's a. It reminds me of this. this uh, Dustin Hoffman's Captain Hook is saying something. He's like, "Don't try." And, he's going to kill himself. He's like, "Don't try and stop me, Smee." And then he's mm-hmm. about to kill himself. He's like, "Smee, try and stop me. Try and stop me, Smee. Smee, try and stop yes. me. What's going on?" I get the exact same thing from put on the suit. Like they're them fighting words into actually great suggestion. Mm-hmm. I've completely yeah. reversed my position on this. Let's and Steve helps go. him. Steve kind of helps him get up, which is great. Which I find to be really funny because one of the weird things is that he does help him for a brief moment, but then he also helps him when they're going through the door, and he didn't need yeah. help in that moment, which is really weird. Like, <laughs> it almost looks like he's tr- almost trying to, like, push him one last time in a way. It's really weird. I mean, technically, he's, like, kind of pulling and yanking, but, like, Tony Stark is, like— almost completely at a full stand-up position. He's only barely tilted, and yet, like, and Cap is the one that's practically falling over, and he's still like, go! He's, like, he's so, you know, he's, you know, he doesn't have super soldier serum in him. Well, I gotta protect him, I gotta keep him upright like he's a baby that can't keep his own head up, you know? It's very (laughs) funny to me. This is my friend Howard's son. (laughs) Your your notes about this seeming like cheap, like cheap sci-fi TV this is a perfect example of that yeah. because that shot is very handheld, very shaky as they're getting up. It's all wobbly as if we're meant to think that the deck is like the whole ship is like kind of uh, you know tipping back and forth like crazy. And to that point, even the very next shot of the bridge, it's like at such a, a stark angle 
where it basically looks like the ship is like plummeting straight down to the earth. And I mean, everyone's walking and everything, but clearly they're giving us a shot at an angle that you normally don't see because nobody looks like they'd be able to stand if the ship was facing that way. So it's interesting that they're now really playing with all of that stuff and giving us these, um, these angles and everything that are making us feel like things are happening. It does make me think of wrestling, right? Because to me, like the, the angle that they do in that moment is part of the cell. You know, because I think that if you had like it is a lot to me, like watching theater, right? Like I enjoy going to see shows like plays and stuff like that. Right. But like Mm. no matter how good someone is acting, when you have a completely flat stage and nothing changes and suddenly everyone's going, whoa, you're like as if like something has, you know, rocked the thing and like they're acting in that way. It I'm always like, okay, you know, like they're. It's some, I don't know what it is. Like, I get also that you're trying to project basically to the person who's in the back seat so they can also get it. But there's this moment where you kind of are like, I feel like that kind of is the only thing when I'm watching stuff that kind of takes me out of it because it is so exaggerated. Right. But like, it makes me think of, you know, when you're doing wrestling moves, like someone barely hits you kind of thing, but you have to sell that, you know, as if it's a big hit. It's the same thing here. You can't be uh, like wackadoodle, like, whoa, with your voice, you know, you have to kind of look like you're falling. But then again, if you tilt the camera a little bit, it helps it look like you're really struggling without having to overdo it in a way that seems campy, I think. Chattanerian. Mm. Mm-hmm. It works. I mean, we're we're getting a lot of this sort of stuff. I mean, we get just to kind of set up where everybody is. You know, we see uh, when this explosion happens, this is the point when Natasha and Bruce are blown out of the window. They land on that lower platform that we conveniently saw a few minutes ago. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so we know where they are. And and everybody else is kind of still in the wishbone lab. But then, then we see that Steve and Tony kind of run out and we see troops grabbing guns we see people getting ready for all this plus we know that clint uh you know it's interesting uh pete your you know start of this minute you call out the the way that he uh activates his arrow he he's got buttons on his grip on his bow which is um i believe this is the first time we've actually seen them and see how that he operates them so so we're getting this setup of all of these different pieces uh you know coming into action now and so i don't know it's it's interesting to see what they're doing and how they're setting all of this up. So it'll be interesting to see kind of like, uh, you know, how this whole attack continues as we continue talking about it. Yeah. Oh, and we also see um, when we see the shot of from underneath the ship as pieces are falling, we do see the cloaking device. We see kind of all the reflection panels going back to normal. So you can tell that it's uh, going visible again. You hate when the cloaking comes down and your ship is blowing up at the same time. It's very upsetting for the people on the ground. Yeah, (laughs) very (laughs) exactly. I mean, it's, 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 just too many things at one point. You know, it's overstimulation. Yeah. You're like, ah, what? It's overwhelming. Well, yeah. what's yeah. what's worse, though? I, I pose this to you. A cloaked ship blowing up and you can't see it and a falling mm. invisible piece crashes on your house. I don't. Or a cloaked okay. ship blowing up. It appears as it's blowing up and you see that a piece is falling to your house and you have time. To I get think, away. though, that like you could have the piece fall off and that be the thing that uncloaks versus like the rest of the ship. You know, because, like, if I'm suddenly like, oh, I can see something smoking and I see a, you know, something falling from the sky, you know, you're just kind of like, okay, avoid that, right? 
But this also, is the plot to Chicken Little, right? I believe so. Yeah, but it's like seeing that and the full ship because we won't, we won't get the the hexagons in the sky yeah. until a few movies down. Because like you know, when you're looking at it and you're like, okay, that's wild. I got to get out of here. But then if you're like, that's wild, and that's what oh, what what am I more concerned about? <laughs> now you have too many things happening at once. I feel like that's just uh, it's a little buck wild. But it's also the same thing as like the moment of like the wishbone lab getting hit, right? And like you know, somehow from this engine, it's like how did the full cloaking of the entire ship go down with one engine falling off. You know, it's it's a fascinating thread of dominoes, I think. Yeah. Well, this is where our minute ends. We have Fury sitting up, shaking his head, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, trying to figure out what the hell is going on since, uh, you know, Tony and Steve are gone, Natasha and Bruce are gone. It's just him and Thor left in the room, so I imagine he gets up and is like, where did everybody go? Speaking of, like, a wrestling sort of Sort of that that head shake is a very like where you know over exaggerated like, yeah. yeah exactly it, it, yeah. again it's, it's yeah. trying right. to sell the I've I just been got rocked. thrown yeah. into the front row of chairs yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. right. and if I may it does need to be a huge note I just wanted to point out that uh, this is the first time that we've been on uh, for this movie where we've seen Thor um, and I love the suit in this one actually the the sleeveless i don't see anything not other than his non-facial hair i can't get past it yeah like, that is a little weird can't get past non-facial yeah cuz he starts having at least like a like a you know thin beard from yeah. from now on basically but like and it is weird the baby face thor like i have the baby face thor was an odd time and also thor with no eyebrows was even worse um well yeah this is yeah they fixed that the the matt smithifying there is yeah. just a real roller coaster of eyebrow yeah. trauma. Clint's Definitely. heel turn. Yeah, the, uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know. But no, I really, I really like that suit because it's like uh, it's a good practical suit. Um, I do like the Infinity War outfit as well. I feel like those are the only two that I, I guess technically Ragnarok as well. Actually, I've just realized. But there's like he has like what seven suits that we've seen so far, and I've only really liked a couple of them. Sometimes they, even when they are practical, there are times where they look so fake. You know, and they're not even CGI'd. And I go, that doesn't seem right. But like, this was a good, like, practical effect looking suit. And I liked the, I liked the design of it a lot. It is a good suit. One it is a good out. suit. Well, uh, we certainly appreciate you two coming and joining us again to talk about Minute 73. I know you'll be back um, a little later in the film. So we'll chat with you down the road. Uh, so for now, though, uh, tell everybody about what you're up to and, and where they can tune in. Sure. Uh, we are on a podcast called Timeline Scavengers, where uh, we're going through the MCU. And by that, we mean the MCU that we have personally defined. And uh, we are the highest authority on what counts as the MCU on our show. Uh, in historical order, uh, both TV shows and movies, uh, basically what that means is sort of like when flashbacks happen, we see the flashbacks years and years and years before they are flashed back to. We are currently in an era, this 2023 is going to be an era of origins and uh, uh, generational trauma. It's going to be a fun year, and um, <laughs> it's going to uh, wrap up with Captain Marvel, and uh, we've started in, we started in 1947 with the year, and we're going to end in 1995, uh, and it's going to be really fun. We're, we just have a lot of fun with it, and we get into the nitty gritty, and uh, we like each other uh a lot, even well, though sometimes we get into it a little. No, I'm kidding. No, you're not. No, we, we, we have a great time. On show. It happens. No, nope. happens no, no, to no, the no, best no. of us. Yeah, I, I know. Listen, I didn't want to say anything, but yes, sometimes man. the energy between Pete and Andy, I'm like, wow, 
Ooh. <laughs> I can tell something's something's happened. Wow, man, are you are you guys okay? You're say it's aspirational. Yeah, oh, Somebody, yeah. yeah, it's dark energy. Yeah, dark energy. Dark. Um, Project Pegasus. Uh, we're right here. <laughs> anyway, no, it's it's a great time because I I think that like even here being here, it's like people can have totally different interpretations, and it's uh, very interesting to to watch and hear and. Uh, sometimes I change my opinion and sometimes other people change theirs or sometimes you find like a middle ground of like a new way of looking at something, which I think is a very cool thing about media uh, comprehension. Or sometimes you don't and you call it back for the rest of your True. lives. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. we have some- uh, yeah, you can find <laughs> that never on. happens out there. Yeah. <laughs> no, of course not. Well, check it out, everybody. We'll have the links in the show notes. And remember, if you're not seeing the links in your podcatcher, just go to our website, marvelmovieminute.com, and you can find everything there. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about Minute 74, so that's it for today. Uh, So, Pete, thanks as always. And if you like Thor's outfit, just like Colin and James, don't forget to get your quality as Guardian leather goods. Available where you buy your quality leather goods. (laughs) Q-A-L-G. Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Message to the World by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show.